You ready to chow in, man? Let's do this. Welcome into the Waver Fire. We are just past Valentine's. We are just past the football season. Nick and JP, man, this Sunday, man, it felt like, it felt weird. It felt sad. It was upsetting. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> nice. You shook off the NFL season. At least we have uh, David Lynch to, you know, make us feel good and bad. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't quite set in the lack of football. I think I'll fill my time up with things like that. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get through this together because <laughs> it, it's going to be a long off season. There's a lot of football news that I, I'm going to be following and kind of just in my head saying, this is, this is where I rank players and this is where I'm going to take players and stuff like that. Yeah, it is fun whenever the tiniest little bit of news ekes out during the offseason. Like you kind of make these, I guess in my head, you make these massive adjustments on the smallest news. But we'll uh, we'll try to stay up to date. You know, I really just see the headlines. Um, I don't think I saw too much this past week. A lot of rumors. I did see, unfortunately, Vincent Jackson, old wide receiver from Tampa Bay, passed away from kind of mysterious reasons. I haven't seen um cause of death yet but i still remember playing fantasy football with vincent jackson so that kind of uh that kind of sucked to see did you see any news that you want to talk about before we get into the the movie segment with david lynch no not really i mean the biggest bombshell to drop is wherever um deshaun watson goes and we don't know that yet so yeah now espn's trying to throw the narrative of russell wilson moving which is just Seems ridiculous, but who knows? Wild things happen when you start throwing around first draft, first round draft picks. But all right, well, dude, let's dive in then, because so far we've seen a racer head, elephant man, dune, and now we get to dive into blue velvet, which you had said you thought was kind of the crowning jewel. So far, I absolutely think it's. It is so strikingly good and awesome. I, I really did like Eraserhead for its strangeness and kind of um, like amateurism a little bit. But man, this just feels like the fully de- developed uh, deal right here. Um, I I wanted to kind of throw things out a little differently this time. And so I actually just went through the movie a second time. This was the first time that I felt really just like, damn, I kind of need to play that back. And so the very next day I watched it again, um, kind of clipping a little bit, but basically watching it through and just making little notes really from each scene. So I might talk way too much during this episode. And, and I'm, I apologize if I bore everybody, but I just, I feel like this is a movie that I don't really want to miss talking about every little nitty gritty uh, nitty gritty detail. So apologies in advance, but how would you like to kind of throw your weight on this movie? I know, I know this is one of your favorite movies. Right. Well, 
this is one of those ones where where David started to get an idea of what he wanted the film to be like. He was creating a movie in his head and he had a few little tidbits like main plot points and whatnot. And one of his friends and him, they took it to Warner Brothers and they, I think, pretty much sold the movie that day. Wow. To get it going. I think it was before Dune ever actually released. Ah. So it wasn't, I don't think he had any of that stigma of the, of the bad box office, but yeah, he got going on it. One of the biggest things is, you know, Dennis Hopper. He, he's a beast. He was, he was on like a filmmaking marathon right then. He, he made like three films back to back to back. And he was, it was the first of his sobriety as well. So he was. Really? He wasn't it, drinking. Um, interesting to tackle that role, this role of Frank after sobriety. That's, right. that must have been a harsh um, session to go through. <laughs> I mean, that might, that might go down as one of the better castings ever. He brings such an incredible amount to the movie. Um, yeah, he's one of my favorite villains ever. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I guess... Hmm. I was going to say that I guess I wish I had seen a little bit more dimension because it is just so 100% maniacal, but you get some teasers that he has some, you know, horrific upbringings or whatnot that that have created this monster. Um, so so I really, JP, I was just going to kind of go through uh, each scene with just small, either small discussion or or deep discussion, depending on what warrants. And, and then kind of, if you wanted to poke in on, on anything, that's kind of how I was thinking of going through it. Um, yeah, is that let's, all right let's, with you? Yeah, that's fine. Let's get it. Let's get that uh, scene by scene going. Well, first off, start off before anything with just the waving wall curtain of that dark blue velvet and and I don't know if it was because I had seen a trailer and I knew that this was going to be some darkness that 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 um, curtain looked so, so freaking ominous. And I was just like, I was like, whoa, this is really setting the stage that this is some I mean, it just kind of it's just a curtain and it's just waving. But somehow it just looks so sinister. And then it immediately cuts after we get some credits to like, like straight up Pleasantville, where it's is literally roses and blue skies and fire trucks. I mean, it's completely over the top happiness and joy. And <laughs> I was just cracking up so much that that really that's the opening. This just like almost demonic looking curtain into Happyville. Loved it. Loved the opening. And then yeah. you, you see, go ahead. I like I like that opening too. You're kind of floating in and out of like the darkness and the light because with David, it's like it, he always has that theme of like um, Norman Rockwell, America, and mm. stuff like that, but just a little bit weird. And yes. you see that in Twin Peaks, and you see it in this film. 
it, it's a, it's a nice thing. And like you said, it starts out with the dark curtain and it goes to the light. And then what happens? It gets dark again. It very quickly gets dark. And it's, it's kind of a funny scene. I thought when you see just a, seemingly a random American dad watering his yard, which we quickly find out is the main character, Jeffrey's dad. And, uh, you know, it cuts to the mom on the, the couch watching tea, watching a little crime movie. I mean, it's just so you're right that he really instills Americanism in such a really fantastic way. And then all of a sudden the dad just, oh, we all we all feel the struggle, man, trying to get that damn garden hose loose. And he just completely destroys himself. And at first I'm like, oh, the poor bastard, you know, he like he got a little cramp. But, you know, David is so good at just pushing it up to 11 every time these small inconvenience happens. And, and so, of course, his dad ended up writhing in the puddle of his own watering with a baby walking out in his diaper and a dog, you know, trying to nip at the water, but basically stepping on the dad's balls while the dad, I'm sorry, I'm laughing so hard at the image already, but the dad is just obviously in complete agony. Uh, and then you have the perfect he's dying oh oh you think he's dying oh yeah in the first scene it he has a stroke and dies and there's like there's a little bit of symbolism before where where the uh the hose gets kinked up and i guess that's like his artery or whatever. Wow. I did not I did not realize that that was a stroke. I thought yeah. he I thought so he it, wrenched his back out. Oh my god. So yeah, he it's like way more morbid cuz he falls on the ground and the dog is like licking the hose pipe. Yes. And his baby is rolling up to him watching him die. Is that is that his baby? I guess. I don't know. Who, oh. I mean Straight because baby. Jeffrey's already like 20 years old, so it would be a pretty big age gap. But it, I thought it was just a random ass baby, which really feels like typical. I, mean, I, don't think it, I don't think that these characters are related to the movie in any way. I think Wait. it's just imagery. Wait, the the dad who's in the hospital, Jeffrey's dad who's in the hospital, that's not the guy who's who's with the watering the yard? I don't think so. I don't know. I I feel like it is. I, I mean, I, I just watched it. I guess I just watched it one time. I didn't really watch it in the second time, but I'm, I'm thinking that that Jeffrey goes to see him in the hospital and it's the guy who, who was watering his yard, but I will have to rewatch. I, I really don't know. So that's interesting that we took those differences away. Um, but then that just wonderful zoom from the, I guess the water pipe down into the grass and then you're kind of like okay this is this is ominous I, i'm pretty sure this is not just a transition cut we're about to see some shit i wasn't sure what we were going to see but then to see these like beetles or maybe some sort of bug just going at it like tens of them crawling and fighting and it's 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 real i mean it feels very natural but it's like it's like nature's fucking lit from Reddit, you know, it, it's hardcore and it's dark and it's just an honest, it's just wonderful um, uh, symbolism for the darkness that hides right beneath, you know, all the nicety outside. So 
Loved that. Kind of got the vibes a little bit from the um, radiator zoom in from Eraserhead where you kind of zoom in and then it kind of shows something past it. It, it felt similar to that. But it was cool. I really loved the bugs. And then and then just an incredibly quick I love David's transitions in this transition where you go from the nasty bugs to the very over the top welcome to Lumberton town with the bright blue sky. It's awesome. I love the transitions all throughout the film, but that one's just the, the most in your face probably. All right. Then we get, then we get like a radio overlay, which felt very, um, Reservoir Dogs E and also Pulp Fiction, where you know radios overplaying and, and Jeffrey's just walking in a suit through some backfield. So not sure where the music is coming from, but it's clearly a, like a local radio host, which I like the vibe. And and then he goes to the hospital. Dad's fucked up with something. He he's got like the brace on, and he's like, I guess he's kind of crying, and he's got like a little voice. Um, box he's all fucked up i don't know if he's paralyzed or what but but it's an, it's emotional you know jeffrey jeffrey what i thought when i first saw him was he looked like kind of like a 25 26 year old and it, it's tough man to see your dad in such such a rough place i mean i don't know if he's i i feel like he's just in the hospital for a little while but maybe longer maybe he's just totally fucked i don't know but um Jeffrey walks back through the field. And I really love that Jeffrey is, is walking um, because obviously we later get introduced that he loves his car. He very clearly has some affection towards it and skill with his car. So for him to walk to the hospital, I think it shows a, a good amount about his character. Um, maybe he wants to get to the hospital slowly, you know, because he doesn't, he's scared of facing his dad in such a situation. And also that he's kind of an explorer, you know, and he knows his town. This is where he grew up and, and he knows the back alleys and the avenues and, and he likes to adventure, which is what we're going to see throughout the film is that he's not scared to, to jump into people's houses or, or go anywhere. He's, he's cool with it. He feels very like he owns his own um, area. So I like that introduction. Um but walking back through the field, he just lingers a little too long, picks up a few too many rocks. And all of a sudden, you know, as David loves his props and does them so well, he finds a damn bloody severed ear um, just being picked apart by ants. You know, again, that kind of bug symmetry. I mean, it's shocking and it's great. And I love that it happens right in the middle of the day. So you're not like, it doesn't feel too sinister. Like you don't feel like Jeffrey's really like about to get attacked, but it's like, Jesus Christ, man. And you know, this is supposed to be pleasant, Phil. We've got a damn ear in the field right here. Yeah. I, I watched some interview with David. This is the beginning of like Jeffrey's trip here. He finds this ear and now mm. everything gets like bonkers for for him from that moment on. Um, another thing uh, about Jeffrey, you know, like he always he's crawling all up in people's houses and doesn't seems to not care about the consequences for the things that he's doing. And um, Frank makes it like abundantly clear later. He's, he, 
when he's relating himself to Jeffrey, he's like, you are me. Um, and while clearly he's not as bad of a person as Frank, he's like, they're like the duality of each other. Like in, in this movie, every, everything that's good has a bad counterpart. It's like that street that goes down the middle of the town. Yeah, that no, that's a yeah. Go ahead. There's good stuff on one side, bad stuff on the other. There's the, the diner where they're always safe. There's the slow bar where it's the bad people, you know. Um, right. There's the good girl. There's the bad girl. Um, right. Everything is really kind of cut, cut and dry in this film as far as stuff like that goes it is especially with frank and jeffrey and it and i love how they parallel their characters and their uh you know the similarities of their i guess desires and braveries and then i I think the movie is really trying to say that you know one or two things during your upbringing can can really sway you towards one path or the other And, and you you likely have kind of a natural disposition one way or another and that could be adventurous and confident but if you have certain like a certain upbringing like obviously jeffrey lives you know very pleasant life he ends up with relatively pleasant um uh, moralities but obviously frank must have had a, a tougher situation we're guessing we don't see but we're guessing and and so he leans the way he does so yeah definitely a great parallelism between the two characters all right. And so he snags it up being kind of like the, you know, wanting to get involved and I guess just wanting to do the right thing, but also kind of curious. So he snags it, brings it to the cops. And we there's there are many lines throughout this movie that on paper, they're not really funny. But then when the character says them in the way they all way they do, it, it really cracks me up. And the first one is when the detective looks in the bag and says, yes that's a human ear all right <laughs> it's not he he doesn't say it like a joke he just says it in a way that is funny and so it's fantastic and and i i like that detective character he does it a few times really throughout the film he has a funny way of saying things um we see the we see his i guess his aunt in the film which is the grandma from happy gilmore that one kind of took me for a a few of the characters in this movie similar to dune i was like wait a second like i know them from something that's just so vastly different and it just kind of shocks me away the first one was the grandma from happy gilmore um he goes for a late night stroll to to the detective's house is what we find out um but he kind of yeah, he, he does love to wander for sure. He walks wherever he wants and he feels safe at night, you know, doing whatever he wants. And he kind of daydreams a little bit about the ear on the way. And it has this nice zoom into the ear canal, which we obviously will will come back out of um, towards the end of the film. But nice. Uh, I like that you get inside his head directly contrasted with Dune where I really disliked, and I know you talked about how it was forced on them to do voiceover to understand their thoughts. And now we, we get the exact opposite. We get just a jump into the daydream and, and to see what he's thinking. Um, he goes to the detective's house. It's kind of a cut and dry, like, hey, sorry, Jeffrey, we can't get you involved. I know you're curious or whatever. 
And then I loved when he leaves the house, you get this off screen voice of, were you the one that found the ear? And it looks over and then not exactly the same as Eraser Head's emergence of the beautiful lady next door, um, but similar when the daughter, um, what's her name? What is it? Susan? No. What's what's the main girl's name in this movie? Ugh, why is it uh, Dorothy or Sa- Sandy? Sandy? Is it Sandy? Yeah, Sandy. That's Sandy. Yeah, emerges from her, her like garden or whatever from the darkness, and it it really was so strikingly similar to the emergence of the uh, the beautiful lady next door in, in Eraserhead. And I I love that we've seen um, David Lynch's films up to this point because there are multiple times where it's like wow he he kind of reused um, a shot that he had used before to such good success, and it, it plays out so well again. Um, so I love that scene. It's a really great introduction to Sandy. Um, I, when I saw Sandy, I thought that she was like a similar, um, post college girl, but we quickly realized that she's from, she's a senior in high school, which I don't really buy it. She looks too old for that part. Maybe that's me. Um, you know, knowing her mainly from Jurassic Park, where she's like a grown woman, but she still yeah. looks just she looks too old, man. And and I don't really I don't like her as I mean, I don't I don't know why it would have taken anything away from the story if she was just like, I, I guess I don't really know the actress's real age, but she looks like she's 24 or 25. And I don't know. I, I wish that maybe the, the story was more that she was just a college girl because I don't think it would take anything away if she like was going to community college or whatever. Um, but anyways, that's just a minor gripe. And, and he doesn't look like a freshman. Like I said, I think he looks more like 25, 26, but I guess he's supposed to be a freshman or maybe sophomore in college. So that's all right. You know, it's common for films to, to cast characters that look a little older than they are, but whatever. And, and she kind of, uh, you know, she kind of plays the the instigator towards towards this ear investigation. She's like, you know, do you want to hear a little bit more about it? I overheard stuff from my dad because my my bedroom's right above his office. And she really kind of pokes his his curiosity in a way that I don't think, you know, she doesn't know him really well. So she doesn't know where it's leading, but she does start start it up a little bit. You know, she says, like, I know where this woman lives and stuff. You want to see it? I'll show it to you. So I like her character. She's, she's got a great, you know, diversity, even though she's just a senior in high school character, she's pretty deep for this film. I like it a lot. Um, and then you talked about the street signs already. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you is there are a couple times in this film where it, it really shows just a zoomed in shot of the street sign for like, a second or two multiple times in the film. And, and I, I thought that it was going to like come down to like that. We needed that clue as part of the investigation or to tip us off on some sort of crime, but I, it never really played itself back. So can you kind of like, do you have any elaboration on, on the street signs? Does it just kind of relate back to what you said about good versus evil? Yeah. I mean, I think, what is it called? Lincoln. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. It's just in the movie, one side of town is like 
freaking like almost like Philadelphia industrial, and and I think it takes place in Washington, but uh. regardless of that, and then the other side is all like I, I love after the I think what happens after we have the scene with the stroking guy and then the the bugs and it comes back and it's like logs 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 <laughs> right like that's that's what the good side is like everyone's uh-huh. like all right i guess everybody here knows if a wood could chuck wood it's like the most wholesome ridiculous stuff ever um right david reportedly when he wrote the script for um dennis whenever he would get to like the f word and david would direct him on how to say it he would go he would go this word right here oh really david was too too much of a boy scout to say his own word on set i can just see him kind of like typing up the screenplay and just loving you know every bit of it and then I, that cracks me up that he doesn't really want to read it out loud. Like he almost kind of has this inner, um, you know, not demon, but just little devil, you know, like some devilish inner. And then he, he kind of projects the, the nice artist or whatever. That's kind of funny to me. All right. So that's kind of cool. So, so he uses that sign, the street sign to basically be like, um, it's like the transition point. Like you're leaving your Pleasantville and now you're about to see some real shit. Right. Or just to kind of remind you of the whole duality motif. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then they kind of walk back and, <laughs> and Jeffrey says like, do you know what the chicken walk is and does this ridiculous thing? I mean, at the time I was like, wait, what? But it, but it feels real, you know, it feels like some, some geeky little kids, you know, kind of having little, bit of um introduction romance so so i like it i mean it was a little chicken weird walk. but the chicken walk was fine <laughs> it's all right um he picks her up with his convertible so we see his car for the first time so he's kind of he's gotten off feet. he wants to impress the lady and and he's like he pitches the idea they go to the little diner or whatever have like a little after school lunch date and he's like i want to sneak in and she's she's resistant at first, but she she likes him a lot. I mean, it's very clear that she's like physically attracted to him and, and likes the adventureness. You know, who knows how much adventure she's had before? Probably not much being, you know, the daughter of a detective. She's probably a very good girl. And and now there's this opportunity to kind of dive in a little bit and see some darkness. And I think she likes it, you know. And so, yeah. She plays along, and, and this is where you first get a kind of a zoom in on Jeffrey, and he's wearing an earring, which I don't know. I mean, he, I think, I think the actor fits this role in so many better ways than he fit into the Dune role, and so I like what he's done with the character. But when I saw the earring, I was like, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't work for me, but it clearly, clearly worked for this, this main girl, Sandy. Anyways, let's dive into the apartment building because, man, this is really when the ride starts for me. I mean, the, the finding the ear was a nice little, you know, setup. But when he starts to dive into this apartment from from here on till the end, it is such an awesome ride. And 
the atmosphere and the anxiety is so intense for me, even though I felt like the stakes were kind of low, like, okay, Jeffrey might get killed, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like something really horrible is going to happen, but man, the anxiety, like he goes in at night elevators, you know, broken. It's got to take the stairs. The stairs are like outdoors and creakety and, and God, even the apartment hallway, like not even in the room, but the hallways are dark and, and awful. And he knocks yeah. on the door and man, I really didn't know what to expect, but you get this great introduction to Dorothy where she kind of, she opens the door with the, um, you know, the door latch on and she's like, he has kind of this accent and asked him who the hell he is. And, and he says that he's the bug man at like, you know, who knows what time it is, like 10, you know, 10 at night or whatever. <laughs> it's, it's very weird, oh, but, 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 but she's cool with it. And he goes in, you know, and, and the apartment room, it, it's really, it's a nice visual character development because it's like, it's kind of run down, but it also has like, you know, the Japanese wall and like, there's like a slip robe on the couch. Like it's, it's very seductive a little bit and kind of a, sl a sleazy way a little bit, but, and you know, she looks relatively nice. I, I wouldn't say that she's incredibly hot, but she's got some sultriness to her and it, it's just a sultry place. And so nice um, introduction, I thought to that apartment and yeah, i like the apartment too it's it's like that where most of the weird scenes in the movie take place it's like uh it's like posh but like it looks like weird stuff happens there it does look like some weird shit happens and you got like the the maroon shag carpet with the maroon walls and so it's just it's it's a strange taste for sure and and he's kind of doing his little job and, and honestly he's only doing the kitchen so it takes what two or three minutes to get done um so the plan is somehow for sandy to knock on the door and distract her for a little bit while he snoops around i, I thought the plan was pretty bad but but he conveniently you know gets the the yellow coat man to knock on the door and that was a great introduction too you know yellow coat man kind of sticks his head in and he looks man you know how in Eraserhead we saw the guy who who looked really fucked up um, flirting with the girl next door towards the end and yeah. like causes, I forgot his name, Frank Nance to get jealous. I mean, this yellow coat guy, he, he does an even better job of looking gnarly. You know, he looks really scary and intimidating to me. I was like, Jesus Christ. And but then the keys are right there. And so he snags them pretty stealthily. You know, he does a good job. And then they head out and he's good to go. He quick, he does like a quick little uh, summary for Sandy drops her off, I think. And, and it was a nice mission, but damn dude, this guy just has total balls that, that when he gets the keys, now he wants to dive into the apartment when Dorothy's not there. Like Jesus Christ, dude, like what kind of freak are you that you, you want to like go into this woman's apartment when she's not there. It's so, it's so intense, dude. Oh, he loves it. Man. He really gets turned on by it for sure. He he really does love it. You're right. And so I, I'm not exactly sure why, but they ended up, you know, Sandy says she knows where Dorothy sings. So they go there for a bit and have like a tiny little date before the 
the craziness. They have some beer. They talk beer a little bit and they, they hear the beer so- as high school students. Yes. That caught me off guard. Like, Oh shit. Like no cards, just it's all good, you know? And so they have some beer and, and Dorothy sings really well, you know, at this time we don't know about Frank. Um, and so we don't know if Frank's in the audience or whatnot. So we just think that she's having a great time. She, she really looks like she loves it and she's good. And you kind of thinks that things are mildly okay, you know, and it's a nice song. Um, they stay for a while, dip out, go over there. And, and Sandy kind of tries to talk him out of it, but not really. And he's just so confident. Like, he's like, you know, it's all good. You take the car. I'll see you in the morning. It'll be fine. And she's like, you know, I'll stay and honk four times for you. It's real sweet. Um, and then let's see goes into the apartment he works he kind of is quickly peeking around it's dark he he looks in her room we see like a makeup desk not really a lot of indicators on dorothy's character outside than the makeup table but then we see the child's room and it's like oh shit where where has this child been you know like is it with the grandparents or something or what and you see that it really zooms in on the child's hat so you really get a full, you know, full grasp. There's a kid here, a grown, a somewhat grown child. And Dorothy gets dropped off with some guy. We don't see the guy. Um, I tried to check on the rewatch. If it was Frank, you can't tell. I'm guessing it's not Frank because Frank comes later in the night, but some guy drops him off. And of course, during the honking fucking Jeffrey using this, you break into a woman's apartment and then you piss in her toilet, man. Come on, dude. Like you just have all the balls in the world. <sighs> and then, and then it's just like, my heart was for real, just pounding so hard when, when the door opens and, and you think he's going to get caught, but he's quick as, you know, a knife and he jumps in uh, the closet and, and the closet set up so that you can kind of see into the room a little bit. I think he sees a little bit more than he probably actually could see through those blinds, but we'll, we'll take that realism a little bit away. And he's looking yeah, in, a, and a, a lot takes place with him looking from that closet. He does. He is able to see just about everything, which I think is a little unrealistic, but it, it really sets a great, great scene. And man, she she gets in, and she immediately, you know, takes off her dress. She looks just dead tired, and gets a call from Frank. And it's like at this point, you you're kind of like, Oh man, I hope she doesn't kind of find him. But then, and then more and more just happens. You know, Frank calls, you hear through the phone that there's a child abduction and it's, it's done in such a great way. You know, I thought a couple times throughout David Lynch's movie, he kind of panders to the audience a little too much and kind of is a little bit too obvious, but I love how he develops the situation in a very organic conversation so that we know everything that's happening, but it, but it happens just organically. And I really love that. And, and she kind of, she like gets down and she reaches under the couch and you're not sure what the hell she's about to pull out, but it's a picture of her. We don't know. We don't know what it's a picture of, but it's a picture. And she's just torn up, man. You know, she takes off her wig. She walks to the bathroom in her underwear and stares into the mirror. Like you very quickly realize that her life is fucked up and she has it rough. And Jeffrey, is almost like a total asshole for, for seeing this, you know, like he, he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't have to, you know, he shouldn't have to witness her, 
her inner demons like this. It's really rough. He's really intruding. I hate yeah. it. And, and she puts on the blue velvet robe, which I don't know at the time if I realized was blue velvet until Frank got there, but she puts on the robe and she hears Jeffrey. Jeffrey fucks up. And man, she's she's so cool about it. She doesn't really freak out. She just goes over and grabs this huge fucking knife. I mean, a monstrous knife. And and I thought I thought like scarily that that she was going to like stab it through the slits, you know, of the closet and, and like really fuck him up. But she just opens it. And it's 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 such I mean, I. I feel so much empathy for, for Dorothy, you know, can you imagine coming home late at night and you open your closet from a sound and there actually is a dude in your closet. Like, Oh my God. Like I would have a serious heart attack and, and, and I don't know, I would run, I don't know. I might run or what, but, but she plays it pretty cool. Actually. You know, she's like, she screams at him in a really threatening way and tells him to like get on his knees she kind of owns the scene. Yeah, like, like, did you know what did you see? And she he says like I saw you naked. And she's like, you take off your clothes. You know, she, she's kind of has some control here, which for a person who who has been subjected to so much terrible and powerless situations, she's almost kind of frighteningly powerful here. You know, she really owns it. Oh man. And she's questioning him and he's kind of lying. And so she stabs him in the face a little bit. And she's, she's really intense, makes him undress. And I love her accent. You know, she's got a great accent. And she says like, he says like, just let me go. And she's like, no way, no way. And she says it in a great way. I'm sorry for screaming into the mic there, (laughs) but, but she's just so into it, man. And, and she almost, you know, this, this might be one of the very few times in her life where she has the power and she loves it. And she, she gets down on her knees now and, and who knows what's going on through her head, but it's clear that she's like, come closer. Like, I want to suck you off, dude, which is, oh man, it's wild to have, to have the knife at your belly. But obviously he has a heart on, I mean, we don't see it of course, but (laughs) he's, he's turned on so much, dude. And, and she really sucks him off while there's a fucking knife at Jeffrey's belly. And he's, and she's saying words like, you know, don't touch me, you know, which at the time you're like, you know, you get like, he's an intruder, so don't touch him. But then after you kind of see her be raped by Frank and Frank uses similar words, like, don't look at me, don't touch me. It's like, she's um, mirroring that abuse towards, towards Jeffrey, which is fantastic. And, and she forces yeah. him on the couch, they make out and then Frank comes and, and we've already been introduced to Frank by the telephone. So, and, and obviously I knew Austin, I mean, Austin, um, Dennis Hopper through the, uh, the trailers or whatever, but we don't know what to expect except for some sort of demon. And, and so he knocks and I thought it was cool. Again, I think it's a little bit of an homage to Eraserhead when, Dorothy puts the knife. She, she's like, doesn't know what to do with it. She puts it on the apartment radiator, which I think, I don't know if yeah. that's just coincidence or it's just a good hiding spot, but you know, the radiator played such an important part in Eraserhead. I can't think, I can't help myself from wanting it to be an homage. I can but see that maybe. who knows? 
you know, this was, God, how long had it been since he did a racer head? Who knows? But it's been many years. So maybe he's not even thinking that way. But uh, but I liked it. You know, we've only we've watched it back to back weeks or whatever. So then Dennis Hopper comes in, man, and he just owns the entire movie from here on out. Even when he's not in the scene, you know, his presence is always lurking. Like, when's Frank going to jump out and when's it all going to go down? He just owns the movie you know, shut up. Where's my bourbon turns the lamp off. She lights the wall candle, which I don't really know. I mean, throughout the movie, we get kind of images of that candle and that candle blowing out. And I, I haven't really tracked it as to really what that means. I I don't know if it's just clearly like light versus dark or if there's timing involved, but he then he issues his kind of um, cinematic line of now it's dark which he says multiple times throughout the movie. And it really is a, it's a, it's kind of like a theatrical line, but it's also something like you could see somebody muttering to themselves, um, you know, with troubles. So greatness there. <laughs> you know, forces her to spread her legs. And then you get the, the inhalation of whatever the fuck, who knows what yeah. he's, he's like gas masking himself. And he's, he does it so well, you know, he really like chuffs uh chiefs this shit down like and and multiple inhales and wow it's it's so brutal to look at and of course um naked jeffrey is in the closet again and for him to see all this shit it's just like you shouldn't be there man like you don't belong there you're not privy to this situation but you're watching it and we're watching it with you and god damn it sucks she gets raped He's talking about mommy and baby wants to fuck and punching her right in her face. And she seemingly smiles. I don't know if that's an act or if she actually likes it, but uh, feeds, feeds him some of her blue velvet from her robe. And he like gags on it in like a loving way. He busts out the scissors and cuts off a little piece and then like shoves shoves like the blue velvet into her vagina i think and like gets on top of her and i don't see him take his pants off so i don't know if it's a rape or just like a dry hump but he gets off somehow oh man this is tough to talk about punches her in the face again blows out the candle literally stands on top of her i thought for a second that he was literally gonna pee on her but he doesn't he just kind of says like see you around babe and dips out yeah so, <gasps> so the gas originally david had written it as um helium what which, which would have been a lot more nonsensical and yes um if it was helium that would have been funny but um dennis wanted it to be something that got him fucked up so it's called amyl nitrate. Oh, really? So he, David, characterized the gas in a later up, like, interview or something. That's that's interesting. I thought he would have maybe left it ambiguous. No, it's something that treats chest pain. Amyl nitrate treats chest pain. It doesn't like it doesn't like fuck you up and get you high. 
No, I mean, it might do that. Oh. Uh, they're saying on, on the Wikipedia article, they're um, saying it's kind of like akin to poppers. If you know oh. what poppers are. I don't know what that is. So poppers were like this thing that you can inhale and it's like it was I guess it's it was legal for a long time. Huh. It's a drug that you could buy like from like a head shop or something. Um it was big in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And one thing I've heard about it is that like uh, it, you you take like a hit of poppers and it like it relaxes your butthole. Oh, so you can do butt, so you can do butt stuff. Oh, I see. Huh. Whether okay. that be loading your butt with something to smuggle or doing some butt stuff. I gotcha. Huh. Wow. Well, I, that kind of even adds more horror a little bit to Frank's situation that he's not like really, really high. Like he's just, he's just kind of, that's the demon. He's not turning into a demon. That's just him. Wow. Well, Jeffrey comes out, you know, tries his best to comfort her after he must just be in complete shock. And, you know, she kind of has him feel her breast a little bit, give her a little comfort. And she goes to the bathroom and looks in the mirror again. That's that's kind of a common thing for her to do. And I like that part of the character that she kind of goes to the mirror and just kind of looks at herself like Jesus fucking Christ. Like, is this really the situation I'm in? This sucks ass. And he says, like, I'm heading out and he just leaves. And and then you get kind of one of the more David Lynchian things, I feel like, when we're put into a dream. We don't know it's a dream, but it's very clearly like a flashback, at least, where where Jeffrey sees Frank raping her and and it's overlaid with a warped image of his dad's face in the hospital setup, you know, like you see his brace, his neck brace or whatever, but it's all warped and fucked up. And I, I haven't really processed that or, or kind of come up with I, with what I thought I thought at first, like that Jeffrey was seeing similarities between his dad and Frank, but, but we know so little about Jeffrey's dad that it's hard to imagine that Jeffrey's dad, like, did some i mean jeffrey's dad feels seems like just a great guy so far so i wasn't exactly sure what that was did you recall that did that kind of make any impression on you i don't know what the significance of the dad yeah is there Mm -hmm. um there's definitely the whole the dad being in the hospital is like the one of the bigger plots, even if it doesn't really get resolved. Um, a note, the store that the dad owns. Yes. Is in the bad part of town. Oh, I did not realize that. Huh. 
interesting because it seems like such a happy place. You know, we see, I'm guessing two of his coworkers and they're just wonderful people and, and he's happy. And although you do see a guy, it's a little ominous, like he's buying a new ax and it is Lumberton. So, you know, he's probably, a, but it's like, it, it's a little ominous, you know, for him to be buying a new, a new ax. I don't know. It was a little, a little perturbing, a little dark. So he's interesting. After some wood. Yeah, he will. He's not a murderer, but it still was like, ooh, a little bit. But after his dream, maybe you're right about the the dad, is that it's not trying to just relate the dad to Frank, but just kind of, it's just all of the stresses in Jeffrey's mind at that point. You know, like, they're two separate situations, but they're both stressing Jeffrey the hell out. So yeah, I can appreciate that. And then you, when we wake up, we, we see something hanging over his bed, and I cannot... Make I can't out tell what it is. I can't. I can't figure out what the hell it is for the life of me. It's so weird. Like, it's the only thing we see in Jeffrey's room, and it's like four feet above his bed, and it looks like a ball with like maybe some teeth. And I'm I'm gonna try my best to zoom in, or maybe like look up some forums afterwards because I have to have some inclination to what it is. It's so weird, man. It's unlike anything else we see from Jeffrey or his house or anything. Really weird. Yeah. I'll have to look into it more. Um, but he goes back, man. He gets sucked off. He grabs a little titty and he just can't help himself, man. That's all I can think <laughs> is that is that he's addicted at this point. And he goes back and he's like, you know. I want to, I guess I want to kind of comfort you. Like I want to get my sex on. And I mean, do you, do you see like him? It, I don't see him being really noble. I just see him as being kind of, you know, wanting to get, get in. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things of, uh, of this movie, how it just kind of doesn't really beat around the bush. It just kind of, it shows you this character that you expect to be this, heroic Eagle Scout type character and it just shatters that what you think of him kind of slowly but once you realize what's happening and once you realize who who he is and what his character is like you you've been dismissing small things for so long that you're like wow, he's been awful the whole time, you know? I see what you mean. That's that's a well-said point, yeah. Hmm. Well, he goes in, and she's she's wanting for comfort, man, and, and they get it on. And, you know, at this point, I, I'm not entirely sure where the relationship status is with Sandy. You know, I think I think at that time, we're, we're still under the impression that Sandy and Mike are somewhat together. So... It's not like really cheating, but it's still pretty brutal. And, and, you know, she says like, beat me and Jeffrey says no. And then she says it again. And, and honestly, he's kind of quick to, to lay the lumber, you know, he, he backhands her a couple times and obviously continues to get it on. Like it doesn't, it doesn't stop him from doing it. He, he goes through with it and, you know, you see him kind of feel bad a little bit or think about it afterwards. And I think he's even crying a little bit about how he's, how he's turned or he's revealed his inner darkness, but 
but he beats her, man, while he's having sex with her. It's it's tough to watch for sure. Just like Frank. Yeah, I mean, not not punching in the nose, but but backhanding her for sure. It's it's the first steps towards Frank for sure. But uh, he continues his crazy ass mission. He he fucking follows Frank, takes pictures with this badass little like light box camera that he has. I can't be- I couldn't believe when he went to the police and showed the pictures that they were such good quality. I mean, it looked like the most ghetto little camera, but, but it was badass. I loved it. And he's taking pictures. He sees the yellow coat guy again. He sees this weird, like very Hollywood eyes, generic looking mustache man that I thought, you know, I'm glad that it turned out to be a costume because when I saw him, I was like, really dude, like you're just, you're doing this like very generic, what looked like kind of a, latin american drug dealer thing like it looked very comedic and amateurish but i like that it turned out to be a costume because it's like oh yeah that does look like a costume so that was cool and but he plays with fire man he goes back one too many times and uh when he walks out there's frank and he kind of thought it was coming you know at some point frank's gonna catch him but when it happens it just it just stops my heart man and and (laughs) And we see Frank's got a little crew with him this time. And I, I was not a huge fan of the crew, to be honest. Maybe maybe their inadequacies and kind of their lameness to me add to Frank's terror. But Jack Nance, again, just, just being Jack Nance as can be. And <laughs> I just don't know if, if David really should have cast him in this and Dune as like both tough guys he just doesn't do it for me man like he's gonna be a racer head like he's just the dorky kind of guy all the time i don't know am i off base there well he said his name is paul but he's that's all he says over and over again (laughs) and he says my name is paul and (laughs) at the very end of the movie um uh he look. He looks over at his dad, um, in the yard at their house, and his dad is over there hanging out with Paul. You're right. You're absolutely right. I, I wasn't. Exa- I didn't see that well enough, or really pay attention well enough to really process that. But I guess my first impressions was like, oh. Jack Nance kind of got out from under the wing of Frank. He's he's going to be all right or something like that. Or or is that the continuation of the evil? Like, you know, Jack Nance survived and he's going to be fucked up. You know, he's going to do some no, shit. I have no idea. I don't know either. I'll have to rewatch that. We see Wormtongue, I think, again. We don't really see him well, but I'm pretty sure that's Wormtongue again. Um not nearly the prominent scene he had in Dune, which I thought he knocked it out of the park in Dune. So I was a little sad that he didn't get a little bit more. But but he does well. He does better than Jack, in my opinion, at, at being pretty intimidating. And then we go for a ride, man. Frank takes us for a ride, and they get in his badass American car, and they go to they go to a place this called this. This is it. What a fantastic neon prop. I, I love that so much. And, and I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was going to be a public bar, 
like a real hardcore, almost like a biker bar. But no, we get this like really perverted, what I thought was like a brothel. I guess it maybe is kind of a brothel, but it's like fat chicks. I don't know, man. Yeah, Ben. Ben's Ben's place. And I don't know why, but it kind of reminded me of Pink Flamingos a little bit. Like it was just fat people in like Divine or something. Yeah, not not Divine's character per se, but just that vibe. Like you get the kind of bright colors and it's just so strange. It's not I, I can see John Waters there. Yes, exactly. And it's not unrealistically strange. Like it, it kind of borders that line of like, does this really exist or not? I mean, it feels pretty real, honestly. It's just weird and, and fucked up. And then you get you get to see Ben, and Ben's Ben's a wonderful character, man. He's this, he's got all this powder on his face, and he acts so suave and cool, but he also like doesn't mind, you know, doing a gut punch on Jeffrey. I think I think Ben is scared all the whole the whole time that Frank is anywhere near him. He looks terrified. I think I think the gut punch was really just like to appease Frank. I think he knows Frank very well. And you saw them exchange money and drugs. Um, and also what might have been like information there it was like a slip of paper, maybe I think Yeah. Was. Um, no, no, you're yeah, right. I think Go he's ahead. like his his boss. I think he's afraid of him. So, no, you're right. I think that Ben, as much as he tries to play it cool, he's he's. I mean, everybody's at the victim of Frank, right? Like Frank could do harm to any of those people at any time, and you wouldn't really see it coming, but you also wouldn't be surprised. And so. Yeah, Ben's fearful in his own place. He does not really like that crew being there, even though he kind of joins in the fun a little bit and, you know, gives us a badass song. I thought that was awesome. It was so impromptu, yeah. but it was great, man. I mean, it sounds awesome. The clown song. Oh. I mean, David David uses music in a really wonderful way so far. And, you know, jumping forward to Mulholland Drive, where there's that song... Um, that like the director is picking actresses for. And so they're singing a song and there's many times that I've seen so far where David uses song in a wonderful way. And, and that's one of them when Ben is singing, love that. Jeffrey's at knife point. Um, when they go, they leave, uh, you know, Dorothy sees her kid. We don't really see the kid ever. So we don't really know the situation, but she's appeased a little bit. And then they go to the field and, and, you know, you're pretty sure Jeffrey's not going to die right here because it's only like two thirds of the way through the movie. But but it's fucked up. You know, he's got him at knife point. Um, they turn on the car radio. The girl gets out of the car and gets up <laughs> on the roof and just does like a slow dance. You know, <laughs> she looks I don't know if she's really high or if this is just a very common occasion for her, but she's cool with everything going down. Oh, yeah. And and, you know, Frank. Frank kind of gets a little bit of that gas in him and starts making out with Jeffrey. And like, <laughs> like you said, he he says like, we're the same person, you know, he kind of almost like respects Jeff Jeffrey's balls, you know, in, in style yeah. a little bit. 
Um, I forgot Jeffrey punches him in the face, doesn't he? Like he does. He says, like, leave her alone. And he straight up punches Frank in the face. I mean, Jeffrey's so hardcore and so so powerful, but you know, they really have all the power, and so they beat the shit out of him uh till he pa- he gets knocked unconscious until the whole night. He's unconscious the whole night. They beat the shit out of him. And right. He gets up and I guess he kind of saunters back into town. And at this point, I think, I think, um, I think Jeffrey's almost had enough, you know, that was, that was kind of towing the line a little too much. And I think at this point he kind of taps out and he's like, all right, I'm going to go to the cops. So he tries to go and see Sandy's dad and he sees the yellow coat guy as a cop which fits fantastically. And honestly, for such a tiny role, I've got to give a lot of credit to that guy, that uh, yellow coat guy, because he looks, Oh, Oh, they're wonderful, man. When we see, when we introduce to him, he's sinister as fuck. When we see him at the drug exchange or whatever that is, he's cool as a cucumber. When we see him at the office, he, he just acts so well, you know, it's not like Hollywood eyes. He gives Jeffrey a look. He kind of thinks just a little bit in his head, but he blows it off. He doesn't remember because he's got so many other fish to fry and he goes back to work. And, and I love mm-hmm. him. And obviously when we see him later in the apartment, when he's standing all fucked up, he owns it too. I mean, what a great actor and character really shout out and tip of the cap to that yellow coat guy. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Sandy's dad says, okay, I'll, I'll work through these. Let's talk about all the facts you have. And then we jump. I think I couldn't remember exactly, but we jumped to Friday night and I, I couldn't tell. I thought that I thought they were going to go to like a school dance the way it's kind of set up. But no, they go to like a house party, <laughs> which yeah. which kind of weirded me out, because like I guess back in the day, Friday night used to be that kind of like, you know, you come over and you take out your girl or whatever. But it's so different now that I, I don't think that really exists anymore. So. Like when she's getting all dolled up and she puts on her dress and he comes in and is like, you look beautiful. And the parents like see him out. It felt like they were going to prom, but, but no, they go to a house party. And let's see. I, I have to rewatch it, but I really remember vividly that whatever song they dance to and make out to is a badass song. It's a slow dancer, but it's such a weird sound. Like it's not really a song it's just like i feel like it's music that david maybe made or something i don't know i gotta do a little investigation there some, but it's some, cool. of the, some of the score is by that guy that does all of david's scores oh okay um, angelo baldametti gotcha he's he's the guy who did the twin peaks it sounds Twin Peaksy for sure. And it, it's it's like it's not something that I think this house party would actually be playing and dancing to, but it's awesome. And I loved it so much. And, uh, you know, I think this is one of the scenes that that maybe it makes the most sense that she's in high school because, you know, they use the L word and they make a big deal out of saying, like, I love you, Jeffrey, and I love you, Sandy. And it's it's very high schoolery. You know, I don't think college kids would have that similarly uh, intense, you know, focus on the L word. But anyways, you know, they make out for a while. So there's some good solid uh, seconds that are they're dished out to the make out session. And it's nice, man. I mean, it feels like they really they really care for each other, which obviously we know 
that Jeffrey's fucked up and has been doing some gnarly shit in, uh, in the back, but you know, maybe he's, he's done with all of that, you know, maybe he'll put that behind him and, and they'll have a nice little relationship. Well, unfortunately he can't put it behind him. It's forced into his, into his face. When we have what I think is one of the better scenes of the movie, not the car chase, the car chase is fine. Like, okay. Yeah. We think it's Frank chasing them. She says, Oh, it's actually Matt. And the boys, the football boys trying to beat him up. It's okay. But then when, when they're about to fight and they're in front of Sandy's house and, and Dorothy kind of comes out of nowhere in the background, naked, stark ass naked and, and wandering towards them like a zombie. And you don't really notice her at first until they look over and they're like, Oh, what the fuck? And then you look over and you're like, oh, what in the world? And, oh, man, it, it's so shocking and awesome. Yeah. And and she comes over and, you know, he has to, like, comfort her. And, and the whole time Sandy's like, what the fuck? But it's a great scene, man. I, one of my maybe my favorite scene, honestly, I, I loved that scene so much. Oh, man, I'm talking a lot here. Um have you been able to it's chime fine. in on what you wanted to, or did you want to catch up on anything? I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, this is, this, this movie is kind of like one of the more straightforward ones. Uh, it, it just kind of gets it done with a plot that anybody could sit down and watch and follow. Um, there's no like learning to appreciate it it's just either good or it's bad um i think a lot of people had like a really visceral reaction to it to begin with and maybe that second watch they were able to really kind of dissect it in their head understand it um yeah some people didn't like the baby wants to fuck and like interesting all the rape and everything like that like and like you said, the um, um, anxious feeling that you get from watching him creep around and wondering if he's going to get caught. Um, someone said, I was listening to some interview about some, someone was talking about the first time they watched it. They said that they hated it because it was so good. The second time they watched, the second time they watched it, they realized that it was like genius or something like that. Interesting, because I mean, I told you I walked, I watched it back to back, and I have to say, I, I had a, I had the opposite reaction. I, I thought it was so much more powerful when things were unknown you know and there was so much anxiety and fear when you kind of know how things are going to play out i i didn't get as similar of of an excellence um so interesting that people felt better the second time Hmm. um but you're right and that's kind of why i wanted to walk through because you know it is such a linear storyline and it happens in in just a couple of days that it's it's amazing to make, in my opinion, such a wonderful and awesome, exciting, thrilling ride with such a straightforward movie. Like David really doesn't have to pull out a lot of tricks and um, you know shifting timelines or or whatever. It, it's all on the page, but to have such great acting performances, 
Um, and I guess the plot itself and the character parallels that, that it's just such a strong movie by itself that it doesn't need to play any tricks. So that's awesome. I, I dig it a lot. And all right. So we're, almost, we're, we're, we're hurling headfirst towards the end. Um, you know, Dorothy says, you're, you know, you're my lover. Comfort me. Sandy uh, reads through the lines, I guess. And is just like, she, she's such a wonderful crier in this movie. Like overall, I think that the Jurassic park uh, lady did pretty well at Sandy, but her mouth um, in particular, when she cries and is upset, it's something else. I think, I think David was directing the mouth. Okay. Cause she shapes it in a very like, yes, almost like a character. I'm so glad that you felt the same. Cause it yeah, is striking. I can see the mouth. <laughs> that's awesome yes it sticks with you and uh and jeffrey he goes to the apartment i don't remember exactly why he goes to the apartment after that but but he goes in and man i i didn't know what to expect but i did not expect to see yellow coat guy standing with his ear cut off um incredibly fucked up but not dead just just fucked up and well, standing. his brain was exposed. Okay, I, I saw the ear. I didn't see skull um, exposed. Okay, so he's yeah. he's really fucked up. Yeah, you can see his brain. So oh. I guess we're supposed to surmise that whatever damage has been done to his brain is making it say, like making him stand there forever and it not like. Like there's some amount of brain activity that's allowing him to stand and buzz, but not enough cognition to be like, wow, I've been standing here for hours. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I think it's, it feels, it feels horrific, but it kind of feels a little realistic. You know I mean? It's not, it's not like a Frankenstein kind of thing. It's like, dude, that guy's fucked up and he's done, but he's, yeah. he's still kicking or whatever we see now. So I looked on, uh, I think it was Wikipedia just to kind of recall the plot and what, who I saw on the chair with his, with a bullet through his head. I thought that was Ben from the house. The, no. the Wikipedia says that it's Dorothy's husband. Yeah. That's the guy with the ear removed, not the other guy. Oh, is that? Uh, oh, oh, I yeah. see. That was the clue that we see the yeah. ear cut off. And then we're, I gotcha. You know what? I, I'm embarrassed, honestly, that I didn't catch that. Okay. So, damn. So Dorothy's husband gets, gets one through the head and, he and then it's even budgets. Like, no. like he's like, he must be already a corpse. He's definitely, yeah, he's done. He, he's got a bullet through his head. Um, We get kind of a, not a flashback, but like a parallel scene of, cops having a shootout with the drug building and and it's kind of like quick quickly done but there's clearly like two or three dead cops like in the road it's like um jesus christ like for a small town we've got a damn drug shootout here with cops laying in the street i mean this is ridiculous it's wild and and then let's see um and then again, one of the funniest lines, and I apologize that I can't remember it exactly, 
But Jeffrey basically looks around and he's about to leave the apartment. He says something like, I'm going to let you all handle this now <laughs> or something like that. And it's, it's yeah. hilarious to me because Jeffrey's been fucking this thing up for like days now, digging his nose into every damn thing, escalating shit. And then after he sees it gets to this, this horrific hellish part, he's like, you know what? <laughs> I think this is a little too much for me. I'm going to let you guys handle this now. Yeah. It, it cracks me up. I'm going to rewatch that scene probably a few times. It's really mm-hmm. good. But then when he's trying to leave, we get the awesome stairwell scene where he sees the mustache guy running over. Jeffrey doesn't know what to do. And then he looks through the little stairwell um, crevice and, and mustache man looks up. And honestly, at this time, I didn't realize that it was Frank. I thought it was just mustache man, but he runs back in the apartment. You know, he talks on the walkie talkie. He plays it cool. He, he keeps his cool. He, he kind of lies through the, the walkie talkie or whatever. I'm in the back room. Um, Frank's in a mustache man uh, mask or whatever. And then he, he saddles right back up into that, uh, that closet again. And, oh, he takes, he takes the gun from yellow coat guy. And, uh, you know, at this point, you're pretty sure it's going to be a shootout. I I thought that it was going to be kind of um, taxi driver esque where where he was going to go down with Frank. Actually, I think in taxi driver, maybe he actually survives that, but he gets fucked up. And and so I thought Jeffrey might go down with Frank. But but no, he's he's fast on the action and he takes he takes Frank's head off, man, with a with a revolver it was intense wow and then sandy's dad hops in and does one of his signature lines where he says it's all over now (laughs) i thought i thought honestly that david was just going to cut to black there after that line but but he gives us the nice little um cyclical you know brings it all back to the beginning where we get the blue velvet song we get the roses and the firemen waving again and and then the blue velvet uh, curtain again. So it's a nice, I, I like, you know, kind of like in the wire where it cycles back around, where there's still going to be that undercurrent of evil over the, the niceties up front. Like just because Frank's gone doesn't mean the world's any really less of a dark place. It's still fucked up. But um, man, uh, again, kind of apologies for just kind of chowing through every scene, but I, I just wanted to, this movie really was too good for me to, to miss anything. So I kind of had to take that approach. Apologies if it was, if it was a little lengthy there. It's okay. Um, this, this movie is kind of like David giving us the handbook of how to watch the rest of his work. Oh, wow. That, that since it's so straightforward with the dark and the light and things like that. Um, there's a little bit more electricity play. I think there's a part where the a light goes out after Frank dies or something like that. Oh, I see. Um, uh, there's a really nice scene where they're at um, Ben's house and they're about to go on a joyride and He's like, we're going to go fuck or whatever. And then they all just disappear from 
from the room instead of yes. leaving. Oh, you're absolutely right. I missed that. You know, I caught it obviously when I was watching it, but I forgot to recall it. Yeah, it does that blink effect where the room's vacant. Maybe there's one fat person, or maybe it's totally vacant. I can't remember. Great call, man. Well, yeah, that scene really reminds me of Twin Peaks and some of mm. the things where where people have have just appeared and disappeared. Um, also, there's the scene they talk about like a pastel clown or something like that, or clown, that's the song, something colored clown. Huh. But something that's always obscured the entire time and you really just can't see it because the camera never focuses is what seems to be Maybe a clown. Where? On the couch. In Ben, it's like a fat person. It looks like a fat oh. person. It's on the couch. Um, let's see. Huh. I, uh, yeah, I recall next to the fat person there being kind of a weird looking person, but I couldn't recall a no, clown. There's not a, there's not a fat person. Oh, oh, you're right. It's like a, It's like a doll or something. Yeah, maybe it is just like some stuff set up, but I, I've just sent you like a really rough picture that I took off of the screen. It Through really email or phone? It focuses in on whatever it is. Phone. Um, it really never focuses in on whatever the thing is, and it's just kind of spooky. It's kind of spooky looking. No, um, good call. Good call. And, yeah. And yeah. Some of those things. Some, some of those things just make me feel like we're in a universe that is Twin Peaks-like or parallel to Twin Peaks because Frank, Frank really does seem like some of the evil that's in Twin Peaks. I feel that, man. Even after just only watching a few episodes of Twin Peaks, I, I agree. This, this felt in a similar, you know, American dark vein um and that kind of brings up something that we might want to talk about is that you know in terms of david's um work we are kind of quickly coming up on twin peaks are we gonna we don't want to are we gonna want to watch through twin peaks at that time or do we just want to focus on the movies i don't know we'll have to decide Okay. I'm just to not totally sure. Maybe that'll be a next summer thing. Okay, I feel that. All right. Yeah, I mean, because I because I feel a little bit bad because obviously that is you know one of his central works and, and it's it's so nice to be able to relate the movies with that those hours and hours that he that he made there, but. Um, but feel free, you know, to, to bring it up. And, and honestly, I really don't even mind if you if you spoil some things, if you're wanting to to draw relations between the movies we watch and some of the scenes. It, it's okay if you want to bring certain things up. Okay. Any other thoughts on Blue Velvet? That's it. I mean, it's just, it's a lot more cut and dry than the other movies. There's not so, I mean, there's speculation, but there's not so much speculation. People I agree. And weird, I, but they, they don't act as weird. 
<laughs> yeah. And, and it was a home run. I mean, I, do you, have you seen anything about like, was this, I mean, obviously he was coming off of a pretty rough Dune box office. Did this do well or did critics receive it well, or was it pretty, was it kind of culty for a while? It was well received and it nice. also had the, it also had the stigma of, from like, I guess the conservatives and stuff of being like fucked up. So like people want to see it if, if they heard that someone doesn't want them to see it, you know? So yeah, that makes it even more culty. I mean, there's already, there's already a following behind David from Eraserhead and, and Elephant Man, which Elephant Man is is really very good, very well made. I as as I keep thinking back to it, and it's one of his better movies. It's as much as I don't ever want to watch Elephant Man again. It's <laughs> It's it's very very well put together and it's sad and it should have won awards but Raging Bull what can you do? It it was a strong movie. It felt a little it, it felt similarly straightforward in terms of its linearity. Um, but but yeah, the shots were nice. The script was good. The actors were incredible. Um, everybody really played their part. You're you're right. I I think I underappreciated how good that movie really was just because. I wanted more weirdness coming off of Eraserhead when really, if I had just watched it as a movie, it is very strong. And, and this one was also um, was very strong while giving me some tidbits of, of gnarliness. So really loved it. Um, next, we are diving into Wild at Heart, which I, oh, Lord. I have never heard of this movie, I don't think. Well, you know what? Now that I see um, Nick Cage on the cover, I have seen just tidbits um, from like a trailer or something, but I've never, I've certainly never seen this movie. Um, Any, (laughs) do you want to, do you want to do any preface at all? (laughs) Or should we just leave it? Um, This one is definitely not one of my favorites. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, though, that Nick Cage is kind of perfect for David Lynch. Since this he's, movie like, bad naturally, and then David's bad on purpose. <laughs> I like how you said that. This movie came out, I think, either just before or during season one of Twin Peaks. So that's pretty interesting. Um All right. Well, excited to dive in. Hope you all watched Blue Velvet as well and and loved it as much as I did. And try to dive into Wild at Heart, and we'll talk about it next Monday. All right. See you then. See ya.